Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Um, I'm very thankful for our worship team. They've done an outstanding job um, in the interim. You may not know this. We currently don't have a worship pastor, but we have one coming in a few weeks. And his name is Chris and his wife, Brittany, are moving here in a few weeks. So two weeks from Thursday, we're having what we call a gift card pounding. Um, deep down south, what you do is when a new minister came, you brought a pound of food, but that's kind of antiquated. So what we encourage you to do is bring a pound of gift cards. I'm just kidding. Bring a gift card um, to a restaurant that you love, a uh, home improvement, think, uh, or a grocery store. Think if you're moving, what would you need to set up your home and to make you feel like a community? Um, you can drop that in the basket. Um, the church won't see those. They'll go straight to them. And, um, or you can stop by that Thursday night from 5.30 to 6.30 um, in the foyer, June 7th. The reason we're doing this is we want people to feel taken care of. And in the New Testament and the Old Testament, one of the people, groups that, that they always talked about, the Bible always talks about taking care of, are the widows. What you find through the stories of the widows is God's provision always prevails. And through our weakness, God always shows up. And his might becomes our might. And so this is what we're looking at. Now, in the New Testament, what you find is that a lot of the widows, it was difficult for them to find jobs. It wasn't that there weren't a few jobs out there, but it was very difficult to find jobs. In fact, many of them had a very secure life because they were widows, which meant they were married at one point. And in those day and age, many of the women got their livelihood through their husband's source of income. They didn't have insurance. They didn't have, so when you died, it was the church's responsibility to take care of them. We get that, right? And put yourself in their shoes that one day you're just fine and all of a sudden you're grieving the loss of not only your husband, possibly your children's father, but you don't know where your next meal is coming from. This is the story of the widows. So Jesus naturally tells them over and over again, take care of the widows. So I'm going to read you a story today that seems to fly in the face of that very advice. Luke chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 says the following. Jesus looked up. And he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. Now, if I'm sitting there and I'm in the crowd and I'm watching Jesus allow this woman to put her last two coins in there, I'm probably going, why are you doing that? Stop. We're supposed to take care of the widows. Why are you letting her put her last two coins in the offering plate? But I think there's a story here that we can learn. A, a lesson, an application that can really apply to our life. At first glance, who was this woman? Well, we know nothing really about her except that her, Jesus noticed her faith. We know she was a widow. We know she had two coins. And those two coins were likely called leptons. Leptons were the equivalents. Two leptons would have been the equivalent of one quarter of an hour of a laborer's wage. So if you do the math, the modern day equivalent in the state of Indiana to a minimum wage quarter hour would be about $2. $2 isn't exactly going to change the cockers of the, the church, right? It's not exactly going to make the church wealthy. It's not exactly going to make a huge difference in the children's ministry. You might buy a whale or two. If you don't know whales, it's not the fish. Our kids eat whale crackers in this church. So that's where I'm going with that. But yet Jesus says that this gift is extraordinary. 
Why? Well, let's look a little deeper. In Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, I want you to look at it like this. See, the word poor had different meanings. And they actually used two different words of poor, Luke did, to describe what Jesus was saying. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And he also saw a needy widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this destitute widow has put in more than all of them. For all the people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. Now, why the two different words for the word poor there? Well, see, she had $2. Let's round it up to $2.14. What can you do for $2.14? A whole lot, let me tell you. It's called dollar meal. You know what I'm saying? And I'm loving it. And so she could have sit there and gone, I need a meal. And I, I'm not going to go out and buy a real good healthy meal for $2.14. Because let's be honest, you can't really find a good healthy meal for $2.14 unless you want to eat rabbit food. And we're not going to do that. And so she was sitting there going, $2.14, what can I get? I can get two sausage McMuffins. I'm extrapolating a little here. Two do- sausage McMuffins. And so I'm going to go down to my local um, Golden Arches and I'm going to get two sausage McMuffins. I now have a meal. Right? Except that when she put those two coins in there, she no longer went from being needy of having a meal to destitute. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. That's faith. And that's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I will admit, I go to McDonald's every Sunday morning and I get two sausage McMuffins. If you want to stop by at 5.30 in the morning, you can see me. Hi. Um, and that's what I'm there. I get there and I get the sausage McMuffins and they're like, hey Daniel, hi, how's it going? Good. And so I get, and then I come back and I'm used to that rhythm and I'm used to that rhyme. But this last week, something blew my mind. I went to Chicago with my youngest son. It was the fifth grade farewell kind of trip. We were at Chicago, and part of the trip, we went to Navy Pier, and you were supposed to buy your meal. And my son loves McDonald's, and so we went to McDonald's. And I was excited about it because it was going to save dad money. And I knew what I, I was like, son, where you want McDonald's, it's great. You can order anything you want, any, any, anything, dad, anything you want. I did not know the prices are different at Navy Pier. So I walked in, and I'm going to order my two sausage McMuffins and a Coke, and you know, you know, Coke Zero, and I'm going to get all this stuff, and I'm expecting—they don't have a dollar menu up there. They have a value meal, which is a nice way of saying we're ripping off the Indiana people. <laughs> because that meal cost—that that same sausage McMuffin that cost a dollar at the West Lafayette uh, McDonald's down the road cost $2.40 for one. And I was sitting there going— do you know how criminal this is? I could go two hours south and get this for like a lot cheaper. And I was furious. And, and I wasn't really that bad. But I was sitting there going, ah, I just feel like they're ripping me off because they know they have me trapped at Navy Pier. I can't go anywhere. I've got to eat. I didn't have to eat, but I wanted to eat. And so guess what I did? I paid the $4.80 for my two sausage McMuffins. And why is that relevant to the story? Because I don't think we understand the plight of this widow. I think we complain because something costs a little more sometimes. But I don't really think we understand what it's like to be destitute. Maybe just maybe that's why Jesus commended her faith so much. Maybe it's because he knew that she was all in. In faith. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't find anywhere in the Bible that it says it's wrong to be rich. I find nowhere that it says that. 
I find plenty of places in the Bible say there's many struggles in being rich. So just throw that out there. But I think what you find in this passage is Jesus is comparing this woman's faith to the people who had a lot of money. And I think there's something to be said about that. And what you find is there's three types of people that give. Jesus was looking around at the people giving and watching them. And I think there's three types of people that give. One, the first type are those who give out a sacrifice. If you give out a sacrifice, you're sitting in a chair because people in this church have bought into this belief that God wants to move in your life. And there have been people here who sacrificed. They gave above their tithes and offerings. They sacrificed. Maybe they went on a vacation less often. Maybe they bought the lower grade copy, uh, copy, that's not the right word, lower grade uh, kind of car. Maybe, maybe they even bought a used car instead of buying a new one. Maybe they went with a 37-inch screen TV instead of the 42-inch screen TV, you know? But they made some sacrifices. They made some choices. They said, I would like to have this money, but I'm going to do without a little in order to help us know more about Jesus. And I think the church in America is full of people who make sacrifices. And I want to say thank you. And I want to commend you on that. But I think Jesus is describing about something else here. There's a second kind of people who give. And these are the people who give out of their surplus. The people who give out of the surplus are rich. And it's not really dogging them for being rich. But what it's saying is you don't really miss it. In other words, when you give, maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's 15%. Maybe you give 20% to the church. That is a great gift, but it's not a sacrifice because the only thing that's lower in your life is your bank account. You're not taking less vacations. You're not having less trips. You're not doing, um, you can see where my mind is on vacations today. I don't know why. It's summer. You're not really giving up something. You're just giving out of the extra, the surplus. There's nothing wrong with that. And I want to say thank you. But there's a third group of people. And these are people who give of everything. What do you mean everything? They give everything. The widow gave everything. Why? Because her faith meant everything. And I think we struggle sometimes because I don't think that the Bible teaches us everybody, okay, everybody turn in your wallets. You know, we're not doing that. Everybody, get on. if you leave here and you go out to eat, shame on you. That's not this kind of sermon, okay? What I want to say is there is more that God asks us to give. And it's not just money. It's our resources. It's our time. It's our efforts. It's our energy. It's even our love and affection. And the reality is I think the church in America has done a poor job of explaining this. And so we don't really know how to give. And so I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I'm sorry if I haven't always represented this well. I want to say I'm sorry if we haven't really taught you that your faith should cost you something. How do I know that? Because everything of value should cost you something. It just should. It's why you pay money to go to a Purdue game. It's why you pay money to go to a high school football game, which I don't understand that at all, but we do it. It's why you pay money when you go to the grocery store. It's, you're getting something in exchange. But we've somehow, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Because you see, there's a man by the name of Ben Stewart who I think gives, helped unpack this for me. And he said this. He said, there's two things that you will give your undivided yes to. 
There's two things that you can't help but give your undivided yes to. And I think this is the practice of how the church should live. This is what it should look like to really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because followers give generously. Of what? Yes. This is what it looks like. is You give your undivided yes to these two things because you understand what these things are and why it is preeminent. You ready? The first one, you give your undivided yes to that which you love. That which you love. When you give your undivided yes, it's not a sacrifice. It's not anything. Let me explain it to you like this. When I was engaged to my wife, my wife lived in Tennessee and I lived in Fort Worth, Texas. I was sitting in a class one day and I overheard this girl that I didn't know later became a friend who was married. And she said, me and my husband are having to go on this trip to Nashville this weekend to be in a wedding. I will, I will come I'm Daniel Berry. Nice to meet you. Are you going to Nashville? Can I ride with you? She's like, well, it's going to be a whirlwind trip. So here's what I did. I spent 12 hours in a car going one way, found a place to sleep, spent four hours with my wife, or at the time she was my fiance, and then got in the car and went 12 hours back. I basically spent four hours awake and 24 hours in the car to see my fiance. Why? She had my undivided yes. Now here's the sad part. If she were to do that now and go to Nashville, I'd go, I'll see you when you get back. <laughs> and that's a sad reality because love can sometimes be mistaken as in a feeling and an emotion. But love is so much more than a feeling and an emotion. It's a verb. It's, it's action. It's saying that you are the preeminence of my life. And Sometimes we have the undivided yes of God because our affections, our emotions say yes. And sometimes we don't because we take him for granted. And maybe that's why we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that God is more preeminent in our love life than he is. Love is the first thing that has our undivided yes. The second thing that has our undivided yes is that which is your authority. When something is your authority, you will sacrifice for it unconditionally. Work, I've got to work extra so I can get the promotion. Climbing the ladder, right? Love interests, hobbies, work, sports, friendships. The rest of the world gets this, but the church has done a poor job of this. You know why? Your seat is free. Go to a football game at Purdue and you have to pay money. But we can want to make it as convenient and easy for you to come into these doors as possible. Why? Because we're hoping that you catch Jesus. And in doing so, sometimes we don't get the picture across that the gospel should cost you something. That to really understand that Jesus is your preeminent authority, that this life is guided and guarded and run by him because we are followers who make followers of Jesus. In other words, we have to follow him to the ends of the earth. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be convenient. There's some times that you should have to sacrifice things that you desire in order to know Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, right? So everybody, your seat's not going to cost $50 every Sunday morning. Just kidding. But if we really think about it, that's sometimes what we've done. We want to make it as easy as possible for you, as comfortable as possible. Wear whatever you want to wear so that we hope you'll see the love of our Jesus. And here's the reality. That's not the gospel. The good news says you should follow me to the ends of the earth. So here's the question that 
we often ask is, what's the minimal cost for the most effective reward? In other words, I'll follow Jesus. What, what's the minimum I can do to get the most effective reward? And so we treat God like an adult version of Santa Claus. Or as I like to describe it, a potluck supper. You know what potluck suppers are? If you did, you grew up a long time ago with me. Potluck suppers, we had, that's where everybody brings a family dish and you bring a family dish and we bring it and everybody share a little bit of everything. And, then, and so I went to a church where we had potluck supper every Wednesday night. We had about 40 to 60 people there and I learned that it was either feast or famine. I, I'm a kind of a picky eater and I learned there were certain people that were key. They were the ones that were going to bring the red and white bucket or not. You know what I'm saying? And there were certain people I didn't care if they came anyways because this was their M.O. I have leftover tuna. I have leftover corn. I have leftover chicken parmesan. Casserole! And I would sit there and go, who would make a corn, chicken, parmesan, tuna casserole? But there was a, you know, I don't know if she actually did that or not, but it seemed like it all the time. And I learned that there's certain people, and sometimes people would get, I, hear me now that I'm an adult, I know that there are different circumstances, and I know that people, and some people, this may have been the best that they had, so I'm not dogging on them. But there were some people who would literally just bring corn every week, and that's what they brought to the church casserole. And I remember the church potluck, and I remember thinking, you are a scam artist. You're bringing corn, hoping to get the red and white bucket. You know what I'm saying? Why would you do that? But that's a lot of times how we do church. What's the minimum I can bring so that I can eat at the table? What's the minimum I can offer so that I can reap the rewards of what God is doing in my life? And hear me, if you think this sermon's about money, you've missed the entire sermon. This is about your heart. It's about your time, your energy, your love your affection, your finances. It's about where your treasure is because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That $2.14 that that widow threw in probably did not make a dent in the needs of the church at that time, but it made a dent in the kingdom of God like you wouldn't imagine. And I wonder what it would look like if we stopped treating the church like a potluck. What's left over in the pantry so that I can give? What's left over because it's that routine again. It's, it's Sunday again. It's time to bring my potluck. It's time to bring my, we got to gather with these people and hope that we get something more. What would it look like if we threw our time, our efforts, our resources, our money, our energy into not just Calvary, but the universal church and really said, God's kingdom needs to be built up and we realize it's going to require sacrifice. It's realized it's going to cost us something. It's realized it's going to make us uncomfortable. It's realized it's going to make us go outside our comfort zone and we're going to say, no, this is worth everything because God, he has my undivided yes. You know, the funny thing about that potluck is I know some of those ladies could cook and I say ladies because they were ladies. I know they could cook. You know how I know? Because they made us meals sometimes. But when they made us meals, they didn't just bring us the corn. So why did they bring the corn once a week? Because it was the routine. And anytime something becomes the routine, you can miss out on the significance of keeping it preeminent in your life. And I think 
If we're not careful, that's what we can do. That's what the enemy wants to do is to lull us into this false sense of security that says, you're doing okay. I know you're giving more than so-and-so. You're, you're doing K because you're, you're doing this. You're doing okay. And I want to ask you, no matter if you think, if you're the person sitting there thinking, everybody else needs to hear this sermon. You preach it, pastor. I want you to know I had to look myself in the mirror this week and I got really convicted over my own words, okay? And I'm asking you right now to honestly ask God. Stand before him and ask yourself this question. Does he have your undivided yes. So what does that look like? Here's the deal. If something is given out of leftovers, your church attendance, finances, serving, time, thoughts, effort, it's not really going to be your authority. Meaning it's not really the value that you think it does. Jesus was commending the might of this widow's might because she was giving because her faith was in God, he was her authority and he was her love. What does this look like? Does this mean I have to sell everything? No. I'm going to read some scriptures. They're not on the screen because I found them this morning. Felt like I need to do it. So I'm going to say the scripture three times so you can write it down later to prove that I'm not a liar. First time, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. None of you are writing this down. You just really trust me. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, here's what it says. Instruct those who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So enjoy. He richly provides us. Instruct them. Enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up the treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Did you get that last part? To take hold of what is truly life. You can be rich, great. God's blessed you with it. Celebrate it. Enjoy that good meal. Enjoy the vacation. But don't live for the vacation or the good meal. Live for the glory of God. How do I do that? You share. Building up his kingdom. You sacrifice. You give generously. And if God says yes, the answer is, here it is. That's it. So how do we do that? What's the Monday morning application? How do I really know to be rich? Because we're all rich in something. We're either rich in money, time, energy, love, affection, being able to rock the babies, be able to work in the parking lot. We're rich in going out in our community. We're rich. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you two Monday morning applications real quick, okay? The first one is how we say yes to authority. How we make God our ultimate authority. And here's the first one. You submit to God. Great. How do I do that? How do I train myself to submit to God? How do I train myself? You fast from one meal a week. Now, you don't have to do all these things. This is just a couple examples of what you can do, all right? Let me tell you the Daniel Berry potluck way to do this. Rob the pantry. I'm going to fast for one meal this week. I'm going to fast from breakfast. You know why? I don't care about breakfast. The breakfast I care about Sunday mornings. The rest of the week, I don't really care. I'll eat a bowl of cereal or something. I don't really care. And so the easy thing to do is to go to the pantry and go, God, I'm going to submit for my meal, breakfast, and I'm going to eat lunch at 10 o'clock. <laughs> I am holy! Don't be like Daniel. 
Because if Daniel really wants to follow God, what Daniel's going to do is not tell anyone he's fasting. Daniel doesn't know why he's speaking in third person right now, but he's going with it. <laughs> Daniel's going to not tell anyone he's doing it. And Daniel's going to fast from lunch. Why? Because Daniel loves him some South Street Smokehouse. And Thai essence. Yeah, some of you, you're with me. Lunch is my favorite meal, so what I should fast from is lunch. Why? Because I want to prove to my life that when I hunger for what Daniel wants, my ultimate authority in life is not the belly or the roof over my head. It's God and God alone. And so through that, I'm going to say, God, you are my authority. The second thing, make an extra financial gift. Doesn't have to be here. Now, if you want to give an extra gift above your tithes and offerings, an extra gift? You mean I'm supposed to start giving? Yes, because followers follow and followers give generously. You're supposed to give to the local church if you're a member of the church. I'll talk to you about that some other time, though. That's really not the point of the message. But I would challenge you, those who are giving, make an extra financial gift. It doesn't have to be here. If you want to make it here, great. We'll use it for the glory of God. We're repaving our parking lot this week. It'll be great. We'll use it, okay? But if you think it's about us, I want you to say, here's other things that this church gives to you can give to Matrix, pregnancy center in town. You can give through campus ministries, Purdue Collegiate Ministries, InterVarsity, Rosho Christi. You can give through International Justice Mission that frees people from sex slave trafficking. You can give to International Mission Board, which supports um, global missionaries. You can give to House of Hope, which is an orphanage in Haiti that we support. You can give to Living Water, which is Calvary Well Projects. And if you want to do that, you can give that online by designating it, or you can write a check and in the memo line be very clear saying this portion is going to tithe and this portion is going to that. Or you can write two checks or you can give cash in an envelope. Just make it easy because otherwise they get confused, okay? And that may not be for everybody, but guess what? These are places we support. We believe that God's building up this kingdom. Maybe, just maybe, you need to release the... Say, it's my money. It's only, I only got five bucks. Your two leptins. Give them. Third, do one thing every day that you do not want to do. This is the one everybody's like, oh, that's the easiest one, is it? Because when you're a kid, that's easy. Why? Because you didn't really have control of your life. Why? Because mom told you when to get up. She told me when to dress because I would have worn the same outfit every single day. She told me all these things and do this, do this, do this. And when I became an adult, I suddenly realized there's very little I have to do other than pay taxes. The rest, I don't have to go to work. I'll get fired, but I don't have to go to work. I, I'm in control of my life, Right? And so, you are, and so what ends up happening as an adult is you think you're in control of your life. And what I would say is that's actually one of the most challenging things to do is do one thing every day that you know is good for you and for other people that you don't want to do. Why? Because my will will not be the authority of my life. God is the authority of my life. So let me challenge you. Pick one of those three things to do this week to prove that God is your authority. Everybody got their screenshot that wants it? And now we're going to the second Monday morning application. We're going to love God. Say yes to his love. This one's much shorter. Pursue and protect your relationship with him. How? Yes. You already know the answer to that. I don't have to spell that one out for you. How do you pursue and protect any love relationship? You go after it with a reckless abandon. If your marriage is struggling, the reason it's struggling is because you're not pursuing it, protecting it. At least one of you isn't. 
If your relationship with God is struggling, it's because you're not pursuing it and protecting it like you should. So when you come to church, you got to go, God, I don't want to just show up and treat it like a Wednesday potluck. I want to go out and experience something. I want to walk changed. I can't wait for the next Sunday to come because the anticipation of what God's going to show me to change my life is overwhelming. I'm not just going to show up casually expecting my life to be normal. I want God, you to rock my world. Why? Because I want to pursue and protect a relationship. When I open my Bible in the morning, it's not just a check off, good, holy Christian, woohoo, prayed. God is great, God is good, thank you for this food, which means nothing to most people because they don't really say it with a reckless passion. They just say it. But when you come before God and you open up and you say, God, today, change me, take a hold of me, I'm going to pursue you, protect me, guard me, you have my undivided yes, you are my love interest, then you'll find it. And remember the why. Why is remembering the why so important? Because love, not the action of love, but the feeling of love can fade if we don't remember the why. Yesterday, a weird thing happened. There's some kind of wedding. I'm trying to think of what kind of wedding it was. There was a lot of pictures on Facebook with tiaras and that kind of thing. I think it was a royal wedding, but I quit caring about royal weddings in 1776, so I don't really know. But here's the thing. One thing I did appreciate about that yesterday was this. 1776 kids was when the United States, never mind, it's, if you don't understand that. <laughs> so we're like, I don't get it. Okay. Um, what I did love is how many people posted, I love watching the royal wedding because it reminded me of my love. And have you ever noticed going to weddings reminds you of your love? Guys, newsflash, take her to a wedding. Something in our lives reminds us and needs to be reminded of the fact that Jesus came and he died for us. When he died on that cross, his body was bruised and his blood was broken. And in the process, he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. And sometimes we need to be reminded of his love. That's why when Jesus, before he was going into heaven, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room and he said, anytime you gather together, I want you to take a piece of bread and remember my body was broken for you. My blood was poured out for you. Remember this. This is my love. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to realize that he died for you so that you wouldn't be alone. And that empty void in your heart is longing for a relationship with him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you can be saved. Would you go at the end of the service and talk by the next step space and say, I want to know about how to become a Christian and join the hundreds of other people in this church who've done that. For those in the room who've had that relationship, we'd like to invite you a chance and give you a chance this morning to celebrate the ultimate royal marriage made in heaven. You with the King of Kings. And so in just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to break off a piece of the bread and take a little cup that's symbolizing his body and his blood. And in doing so, I want you to fall back in love with the Savior of this universe and say this simple prayer. Can you just do this rather than thinking through the line? I hope this line moves faster because I want to get out of here. I just want to go to lunch. I'd like you in the line just sit there and think, God, help me to love you. Forgive me when I've fallen. May you be my undivided 
Yes, in my undivided authority, my undivided love. Here's my, my two mites. Here's me. And see if he doesn't change your world. Deacons, would you take your place? Father, we are thankful for a chance to remember, to pause and reflect today. We are thankful for all that you are doing in our lives, in our hearts. Would you guide us and guard us in every way? Rekindle that love in our hearts. Burn in us a desire to follow you, to make you the authority of our life. To be reminded of how much you love us and care for us, even now. Bless us, we pray. Amen. There's four stations, two up front, two in the back, and a gluten-free station by the sound booth. You may participate now if you have a relationship with the Lord.